How's everybody doing? My name is Christian Wagner, and I'm the Militant Thomist. So today what we're going to be going over is we're going to be going over uh, the first of three videos. Uh, the first video is going to be on the Real Presence and the Last Supper. Second one's going to be on the Sacrifice, the Eucharist and the Last Supper. And then the third one is going to be on the Ordination of the Apostles to Sacrifice uh, the Eucharist at the Last Supper. So those are going to be the three videos. But first, uh, we're just going to be plain uh, talking about the real presence. And now, as a as a quick note, um, before we get into it, I will be following the outline which is given in the Sacred Theologiae Summa. So if you want to uh, look more into this, the Sacred Theologiae Summa is a really good resource uh, for when it comes to Eucharistic doctrine. It's really good. So that's the outline I'm following. So this isn't an outline of my own. So, okay, uh, let's get into it. So this is, uh, in, in the way in which this works, I guess I'll go over the, the outline of how I'm going to do these things. First, what you do is you have a certain thesis. So you're making a certain uh, dogmatic uh, assertion that this is true. And then what you do is you kind of explain it a bit and then you prove it from the doctrine of the church. Uh, and then you uh, give arguments for it. And uh, finally, you take objections. So that's going to that's gonna be the general uh, sort of structure I'm going to be following. I'm going to be a bit more loose because I am trying to make this understandable uh, to everybody who is who is out there. If anything is not understandable, uh, just, just drop something in the comments um, on any one of these videos. And I'll probably do an entire other video just explaining the concept because there's probably other people. I really do want uh, to do a lot of videos on this. So right now it, it should be a, it should be a few dozen. Um, I'm only on video number two. We'll do the introduction and then now this, but let's get into it. So the first thesis is going to be that Jesus Christ at the last supper gave his body and blood under the species of bread and wine to his apostles to partake of. And uh, when it comes to at the Last Supper, so, so this with, with this thesis, uh, I don't think it takes much definition. Um, but what we mean by body and blood is going to be important than what we mean by under the species of bread and wine. So by body and blood, we are not going any further than just saying uh, that body and blood are taken in their proper sense. That's all we're saying. So we're, we're saying that body and blood isn't a metaphor. So this this is really as broad as you can get. 
everybody from uh, from Presbyterians to Anglicans to Lutherans to Orthodox Oriental to Catholics, everybody, almost everybody except uh, your Baptist grandma can agree uh, to this thesis right now. And then by under the species of bread and wine, all we mean is under the appearances of bread and wine. So this is very, very simple. So really the only thing we're going to uh, need to deal with in here is thinking about the propriety or whether um, whether the word body and blood are proper when we're thinking about the Eucharist. So this was defined uh, solemnly at the Council of Trent, uh, session 13, chapter 1. After he had blessed the bread and wine, he declared in plain, unmistakable words that he was giving to them his own body and blood. For the apostles had not yet received the Eucharist from the hands of the Lord when he himself told them that it was his uh, truly his body that he was giving them. Because Christ, our Redeemer, said that it was truly his body and was offering under the species of bread. For though Christ, uh, the Lord, instituted the revered sacrament at the Last Supper and gave it to his apostles in the species of bread and wine. And then this is in, in multiple places throughout the Council of Trent. But uh, so this uh, what we're thinking about the theological note of this. So the theological note is just the degree of certainty that we can have about whether a certain proposition is true. And this is on the, <clears throat> the highest level, which is uh, de fide divina et catholica definita, which is just means defined, divine faith. So, so when it comes to uh, this doctrine of the, uh, the Last Supper, uh, it, it is of the highest authority. Um, to, to deny it is going to be heresy. Sorry, my wife just ran in and then just grabbed something and then ran out. So I have no idea what that's about. Sorry about that. Um, so there, uh, with the theological note. Okay, so why can we not take this as something which is metaphorical? Because it seems pretty, uh, for, from anybody from a uh, general American evangelical background, when you're reading, this is my body, this is my blood, you're like, okay, there's this bread and blood, this bread and wine, clearly um, it's obviously going to be something which is a metaphor for, uh, for something else. But uh, there are actually three reasons. Uh, and the main reason is uh, that you cannot understand this in a metaphorical sense either from what's called the nature of the matter. So bread is not uh, really a natural sign for the body and, and wine is not a natural sign for the blood. Uh, that's a really, uh, we, we could say weird, weird comparison to say if you're speaking metaphorically, because there is nothing indicating in the, uh, in the phraseology itself from, from considering this on the level of, of natural signs, that this would be anything which is metaphorical. The, the metaphor would not make sense. And then second, from an accepted way of speaking, because there's there's no sort of idiom in Hebrew literature uh, or in contemporary Greco-Roman literature talking about uh, bread and wine being symbolic for body and blood. That, that doesn't um, it doesn't really this wouldn't be an accepted way of, of speaking. And then third, uh, there's there's no previous warning. Uh, so basically, in itself, uh, the metaphor doesn't make sense. And also uh, contextually, uh, there aren't any contextual signs, because usually when we have when we have metaphors like this, we can we can look at a few cases in sacred scripture 
um, of this, uh, you you have uh, like a, maybe a symbolic dream where is is used metaphorically, um, such as you'll find in Genesis or Daniel. You might have a parable. Uh, you might have an allegory, uh, it, but usually it's it's going to be clear from the from the context, the direct context, or it's going to be clear from uh, some sort of explanation that's given for for the the metaphor being used. But in this case, um, it, it it doesn't uh, make sense as a metaphor. So, uh, and then also uh, when it comes to the proof from tradition. It's, uh, it, I, I don't even really need to uh, quote authors uh, because, again, it's extremely uh, universal uh, in the liturgies and in the writings of the fathers. Um, there, there's the famous quotes from uh, St. Ignatius and St. Irenaeus and St. Cyprian, and it's, it's just really everyone. But there is some debate and disagreement about Tertullian, which is interesting. Uh, if you look in Darwell Stone, in his explanation of what a symbol would have meant in Greco in contemporary Greco-Roman culture, it's very interesting because we think of symbol as something completely detached from the rea uh, from the reality in which it's symbolizing. But during that time, there would have been an intrinsic uh, connection between the symbol and the thing uh, the the thing symbolized. There isn't um, th th there isn't this detached uh, sort of way of thinking about symbolism back in Tertullian's day. But uh, what, what you really have to do is, if you go through the rest of his writings, Tertullian is going to, um, he, he's going to affirm the, the, that these words are to be taken in its proper sense, um, you, you, even though obviously there is, um, there is some symbolism. And if you look in the, if you look in the context of what Tertullian is saying, he is making uh, some figures. Uh, it, he, he is explaining that certain figures in the Old Testament are fulfilled in the New Testament as a sort of apologetic tool. So he's already uh, contextually talking about uh, the certain certain degrees and levels of symbolism. So it's really uh, he, he just kind of gets caught up in and says it maybe not in the in the best way uh, when when it comes to Tertullian's explanation. But yeah, we we know about Tertullian, so. Don't spam in my comments. Oh, but what about Tertullian? Yeah, we, we, we know about Tertullian. <clears throat> and then the most interesting uh, point to look at when it comes to the history of interpretation, when it comes to the words of institution, it happens during the Eucharistic controversies of the ninth century between Radbertus and Ratramnus. So if you read Radbertus and Ratramnus's words, they had a certain debate, not over whether Christ was present in the Eucharist, but really about the mode of presence. And some of the reformers kind of looked back to Ratramnus as, as their, their father in, in uh, the, the way in which he explicated the, the doctrine of the Eucharist against the papists. But if you look at both, both sides, uh, they're interpreting uh this this passage in the same exact way. Uh, Redberta says he did not speak thus when he broke the bread and gave it to them. This is or in this mystery is the power or figure of my body. But he said not falsely, this is my body. And then Ratramnus said, uh, therefore, if nothing here has been changed, it is not different from what is 
it was before, but it is different because the bread has become the body of Christ and the wine his blood, for he himself said, take, um, and then, and so on and so forth. So throughout the entire patristic age, and then also throughout the early medieval uh, era, even when these controversies come up, and then we can even extend this uh, even further. Uh, if, you, if you look at the Eucharistic debates surrounding the Reformation, even with these debates, I mean, some are going to say, well, Zwingli, but, um, but I'm not as convinced that, that Zwingli had, a, had, a, had some purely uh, symbolic view of the Eucharist. Uh, that definitely takes a lot more fleshing out to have. But even then, um, it, this, this sort of idea of a, of a majority or, or a significant, they aren't even majority, but significant minority believing in a uh, purely symbolic reading of the words of institution, it is something which is extremely recent. It is, uh, it is a strong innovation in all traditions. So now uh, looking at objections. So obviously the first objection is going to come from the fact that is uh, is sometimes used for signified. And this is throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Gospels, throughout the epistles. But uh, we are going to have to distinguish the, uh, the proposition right here. So we can concede this, that is is used for signifies. But it's only when the figure of speech can be recognized from the nature of the matter or from some sort of explanation. And since there isn't this, uh, since it isn't proved that there is the nature of the matter or the explanation in this case, then we have to take the, the words of institution as being, um, as being something which is proper rather than something which is metaphorical. And then uh, the second, and this is, this might be a little bit uh, difficult for some people to understand, but I'll get into it anyways. So when, when you have, um, this is my body. So when you have the words of institution, uh, the, the argument runs, really runs thus. So when the word this is obviously talking about this bread, but uh, this bread isn't Christ's body, this isn't identified with Christ's body. Therefore, it's either false or it can be understand, understood figuratively. So it's kind of a kind of a dirty way of arguing. But there's two ways of answering this. The first way is that by this, he is not uh, designating the bread. But by this, he is designating his, he's actually designated his body, but present in the mind and intention of the speaker. So this in the, um, in the, why can't I think of the, think of the linguistic term? Man, I am, I'm not doing good. What is, what is the subject, the subject? So this as the subject is referring to Christ's body and the mind and intention of the speaker's future. And then body uh, in, in the predicate is referring to, uh, is referring to the natural body of Christ. So that is what this is, my body uh, means. But uh, I, I don't necessarily buy uh, that way. I mean, if you want to argue that way, uh, go ahead. But the way in which I take it is that by this, it actually is referring to this bread. So I would accept the, the major premise there. But what I would deny is the minor premise that the real bread is not the body of Christ. Because when it comes to this bread, uh, when, when we name certain things, we name it uh, by what's called the species of the thing. So the intellectual species, we, we, uh, 
we, we look at the thing, we receive the various uh, notes of that thing into our intellects. We form the intellectual species that we name based on, uh, based on that intellectual species, which has, which has come from our sensitive faculties. So when it, when it comes to the naming of the Eucharist, what would we name it? If we're going purely off of our, off of our sensitive faculties? Well, obviously, uh, you might name it bread. And that would be something which is true. Uh, it wouldn't exactly be uh, the most proper way of speaking, but it would be something which is true if we're referring um, if we're referring in that way. So that, that's the way that I would I would go about it is that by uh, this, it is speaking about this bread. And uh, it's so it's speaking um, about uh, the body in reference to its species in the subject and then the body in reference to it in itself in the predicate if that makes sense. So that is all I have for you. Thank you. Remember to subscribe for future videos and God bless. Glory be to God.